0: This is Kevin Lindsay. I have the pleasure of co-hosting with Tom Schult, the Systems and Cybernetics podcast channel here on the New Books Network. I'm recording this in September, 2021, the month Stafford Beer would have turned 95. So it's extra significant that I got the opportunity to visit with his daughter, Vanilla Beer, about her book on his life, Stafford Beer, the father of management cybernetics. Born Anthony Stafford Beer in London in 1926, Beer had an undeniable impact on what cybernetics was to become. According to Ramage and Ship in their book, Systems Thinkers, Beer's single greatest contribution to systems thinking was the creation of management cybernetics, the basis of which was his strong belief that both commercial organizations and society as a whole needed to be more flexible and able to change. This belief led Beer to develop the viable systems model, which is based on the principle of recursion that, in Beer's words, any viable system contains and is contained in a viable system. VSM continues to be used widely. When I spoke to Ms. Beer, she was in lockdown in her studio in France, where she is currently working on a new commission. As she told me, COVID lockdowns were giving her plenty of time to get work done. In addition to her beautiful comic book style Stafford Beer biography we discuss in the conversation, Vanilla has recently published a collection of her recent works entitled Saints in Paint and Meditation by Vanilla Beer. In our discussion, Vanilla shares personal memories about what it was like growing up in a beer home and reflects on his contributions, including his work in Chile, that had a profound impact on his life and mental health. I so enjoyed this lovely conversation with Vanilla Beer, and I hope you enjoy listening to it, too. Thank you. Hi there, this is Kevin Lindsay, co-host of the Systems and Cybernetics podcast channel on the New Books Network. Today it's my pleasure to be in conversation with Vanilla Beer about her 2019 book Stafford Beer, the Father of Management Cybernetics. Vanilla Beer is an English artist. She trained at the West Surrey School of Art and Design and Walthamstow College of Art in London. Her first major solo show was at Gallery 181, curated by Alan Hayden in 1983. Her first major installation was commissioned by John Gill for the Royal Festival Hall in 1984. And Vanilla Beer has been a part-time lecturer at Lewisham College and Greenwich University, as well as at the Sorbonne and Cité University in Paris. She served as a reviewer for the Art Book from 1997 to 2000. She was elected Fellow of the Printmakers Council in 1984, holder of the Artscape Fellowship 1991 to 92. She won the GLC Peace Prize in 1983, Mail on Sunday Award 1991, Russell and Chapel Painting of the Month November 1996, Ray Finnis Award, 1997, and the 2018 award, I don't even know how to say this one, the Pit du Jury Art à Marie in France. Is that okay? <laughs> All right. And, of course, Vanilla has produced many uh, books that are amazing, beautiful uh, representations of her work, her collections. But this is really her first book, and we're going to be talking about it. Vanilla currently lives in the south of France and is one of Stafford Beer's Beer's eight children. Hello, Vanilla, and welcome to the New Books Network.
1: Hello, Kevin. It's nice to talk with you. Well,
0: it's great to have you. Thank you for joining me from from France. Um, So first of all, I want to congratulate you on this beautiful book. And because this is a podcast, it, it's really hard to convey uh, just in words, but we'll try um, to, this, to really describe this book. It is effectively a comic book. And um, I love comic books. I love graphic novels. I'm a huge fan of, of, of this, uh, this format and i think you've done an amazing job of of describing your father's life and kind of what led him into cybernetics and the impact that that had and uh, yeah i just i was really excited to talk to you about this book so thank you for joining me here today
1: oh it's a pleasure and i'm delighted you like it i mean it, it's quite a difficult it's a, it's a format that that i don't know how it translates to adults you know, you do it for kids, of course, um adult sophisticated adults, like like uh, graphic novels. but this is something else, and it only came about because um it became clear that that people found it quite hard to read Stafford's books, and heaven knows why I mean they are so simple. he says what he means, and he, he means it clearly. But, but I think it's quite intimidating to pick up a a big boy's book, as it were. So this, this arose out of conversations with friends who all of us wanted the, the, particularly the viable system model, the VSM that Stafford is so well known for. We all felt that that belonged in the, in the purlieu of children. It's so simple. So then you know obviously cartoon book becomes an idea to 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 get that one across yeah <laughs> i it's my first attempt at cartoon I, I wasn't um keen to take it on, as you can imagine. But-
0: well, it's it would be very ambitious, certainly with 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 a topic like cybernetics and obviously the body of work that that Stafford represents. Um, you know, trying to capture that. You know, I can I could feel the maybe the trepidation. You'd feel like there's a little bit of a risk. And are you, are you doing you know justice to the work by representing it in in this format?
1: Exactly. What what I remembered though was that Stafford always explained his work in a very um, particular context in the context of his own experiences so for instance the uh, university of John Moore's University in Liverpool they have a collection of his lectures for that for a whole course in cybernetics so I went through that and they all have this um, focus on where the ideas emerged, what he was doing and where so I thought the obvious thing to do is to work through his life a bit of interest anyway but there he is Mm -hmm. and then at this moment he has this experience which he can translate into this faction faction i forget my english my how do you say uh, fraction perhaps of the vsm yeah right you you know what i mean sorry i'm saying vsm
0: uh, uh, viable systems model so of course um you know, let's go into the book in a little bit more detail in, in, just a, in just a moment. But I want to say a couple of things. And I'm glad that you, you know, you um, asked me to spell that out. Um, but it is worth uh, pointing out that a lot of the listeners on this channel will be familiar with Stafford Beer and and his work and his influence. Um, I'm, I'm guessing that a lot of the listeners are, you um, you know, really deep into systems thinking and, and cybernetics and, um, but are quite intrigued by the person, the man, um, and, and really the, the, the story. And so we'll get into that in, in just a moment for sure. But I'd like to actually start by hearing a little bit more about you. Um, you're an artist, uh, you know, you've been, um, as I indicated in the introduction, very busy and, and uh, accomplished um but i'd love to hear a bit more of your story and um and, and really understand you know what is your relationship with with cybernetics and and the work of your father and you know whether it's affected your life and 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 your work um yeah just maybe chat about that for a few minutes
1: well that that's a very big story um Stafford, he he was i have to say a wonderful father first of all he he believed that his generation and, of course, the generation ahead of him had really screwed things up, and he expected my generation to be better, not to repeat everything that they did and not to repeat the stuff of his fathers. So he never taught us anything except the broad brush stuff, you know. He was extremely keen that we understood how systems worked. So, for instance, as a little girl, I wanted some fish. <laughs> you can have fish, but you have to know how to feed them. You have to know how to clean out their thing. You have to learn about uh, uh, potassium permanganate. There was no, um, here's a fish. <laughs> how does this system fish work and where does it slot into the rest of the world? And, and all our lives were like that. You know, there was no question of, of, um, any anything terribly simple, if you asked him a question, as of course we did as children, he always replied with another one um, he called this the Socratic method, which now I know that it is, but you know, but when you're six and you want to know something, you don't really need to sit at the feet of the Greeks and be led through a maze, however, that is what happened. And uh, and of course cybernetics totally influenced all our lives. We had um we had control rooms in the houses. I mean we had several houses as we were growing up, this is outlined in the book. But the last one he had um little intercoms in each of the bedrooms and he would control them from his study. So he could contact each of us and tell us what was expected of us or find out what we were doing. Um and in those days the technology was no, basically, it was a tin and a piece of string. It was just a bit up from that. And, in fact, the intercom in my bedroom, which was at the top of the house next to my studio, um, didn't often work because the squirrels would eat through the wire. But, but I was accused of tampering with it. But you're part of a system, you've got squirrels. <laughs> yeah. No, cybernetics was... Uh, Oh, all the way through. I mean, like, like marzipan in a cake. The, I remember very early on, cause, cause my, my mother, who, who uh, was a curious woman, she, one of the things she did for me was teach me to read when I was very young. So I could read before I got to school and, and unfortunately was therefore very bored at school. But I had this capacity to, to read and daddy used to bring in books for me to read, uh, magazines, and um, say that he never had time to read them, and would I read them, and let him know if there was anything interesting he should know about. <laughs> so from a, from quite a small girl, I was busily informing myself about cybernetic practices all over the world, and able to hold a conversation with an expert who, bless his heart, you know, must have been very tolerant of my take on all of this. I remember very early on copying out the, the calligraphy for, for the cybernetic terms which had come out in whatever magazine you'd given me. I, I thought calligraphy was astonishing. Anyway, yes, well, and, and the rest.
0: That's well, an amazing story. And, you know, I think it comes through so clearly just in your um, – I'm not sure how to describe it. The The experience that I'm feeling you went through in putting this together, just how you must have been reliving a lot of that and sort of thinking quite cybernetically as you were creating um, this work.
1: Well, I don't want to be blamed for the whole thing because um, Raul Espero, you know Raul? He, um, he directed me quite cleverly right at the beginning because I took in my early ideas. And Raoul said, um, you must decide if this is a book for the family or for a bigger audience. And how about, so we decided that the, the weaving of stories, you know, the Stafford story, the intellectual story, the personal story, should all be woven in together. At one point I wanted to print them all on different coloured pages, but it was just too difficult. And way people can skip over bits if they find it too personal um and so on. yeah so yes it, it was certainly
0: I, I i'm i'm curious about you know um i don't know if you would describe it this way but you know maybe you, you waited i don't know if you waited until there was a, a right time to, to do this or you said that you know, you, um, you collaborated. There was some brainstorming. The idea for for this format, the comic book style format, came up. But I, I do find it interesting um, the timing of the book. Um, you know, the preface is really uh, great. It, it's written um, by an individual, Dr. Martin Fiffner of the Ouroboros Foundation, which I I kind of went and read a little bit about them, and it looks like kind of a consultancy and organization that is really kind of focused on, on, you know, um, disintegration and, and, and VSM work. And he says a couple of things in the preface I found interesting. Um, the cry for better leaders is heard these days. And then he says, uh, instead of better people, let's think of better functioning organizations around the people we have. Um, there's another, uh, uh, part of the preface, only now do we realize that our organizations will have to work differently in the 21st century. Stafford Beer was ahead of his time. And as I read these words, I, I just kind of wonder uh, about what really inspires you to bring this now and, and feel that, hey, this is, this is really a good time or an ideal time for, for people to better understand his work and the foundation that, um, that Stafford has has laid. Um, just love your thoughts on that.
1: Well, it, it was talking to cyberneticians, of course. Um, people, M- Marcus Junginger was was a critical one for me. He he um, contacted me out of the blue because he'd been doing some remarkable work, and it was all done to Stafford's work. And he said he so wanted to tell Stafford about it. And, of course, New Stafford was dead, but but he had a daughter who wasn't. So he, he just wanted to chat with me about Stafford. And he told me what he was doing. And I was terribly impressed. And then I went to this conference in Hull, I think, or Leeds. No, Leeds Beckett. That's right. And um, people there were sharing the work that they were doing with the VSM. And I was blown away by it. I had no idea that this stuff was going on around the world and how, Ele- elegantly, it was happening. And of course, the big, the big thing about the VSM is that it's almost impossible to misuse. It can't sit on the hat of a dictator because a dictator would be auto- automatically excluded from the functioning of the model. So then, as I found out more and more about its use and about how people were um enabled by it seriously enabled in some cases I mean one one man who uh, shall be nameless actually wept when he told me about discovering the VSM and about how this he recognized immediately that his work was now possible and that was so moving that was just fantastic so when you when you realize that the thing is going well and lots of people should know about it and that it's a Genuinely democratic tool. It's not possible to be anything other than successful in a democracy, in, and certainly this integration process. Mm. Um, and of course, you know, everybody should know about it. <laughs> and why don't they? So that was my um, enthusiastic start of the of the project.
0: Got it. I think that that's that's super interesting, and I I think that you know you, you definitely make that case. I think that it, it comes across uh, very strongly in in the story that, that you present. And again, there's so much to get to. Um, but, you know, when you uh, just mentioned the how the models like VSM, for example, it just are not uh, at all compatible with, you know, authoritarianism or dictatorship, it makes me think of your father's work in Chile. And, uh, you know, the work that that he did with Ayende um you know before uh, everything came to a an abrupt end uh, for that government under the the next regime um and so I, you know we can skip ahead a little little bit maybe and and you know just talk about that and just I, I guess just in the context of what we've what we've seen you know maybe around the world in the last few years even just how we've seen um some of those tendencies start to kind of arise in, 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 in pockets, you know, of course here in the United States uh, as well, without getting too political, I think that, you know, that there's certainly been um, fear and kind of like a, a, a miss, um, definitely a, a confusion around how, how things have kind of uh, bubbled up uh, in, in, in that, in that way. And I'm just kind of wondering how, how you think about the role of VSM and, and other um principles that uh your your father um brought uh to the world that that could be used today maybe to um a, a create a better um uh, you know political system govern- governance the way we run our organizations and 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 so on um love your thoughts on that
1: well it could be used for any of those things of course um and I think should be to be honest uh, Elena. <clears throat> Dr. Elena Leonard. She wrote a piece many years before Trump, explaining how it would be possible for someone with enough money to override America. <laughs> and, and she was the only person that I know of that was interested when he was elected. She was going around saying "Pal, you so. <laughs> just quite funny. Um, but on the other hand, it wasn't that funny for the people that, whose lives were, were, you know, seriously. Overturned by his. Um, I'm allowed to say this because I'm English. I, I don't have an accent. Right, American people. Okay. <laughs> um, anyway, yes. Yeah, so I would like to see systems thinking in general applied to to organisations because, of course, if not, your organisation is going to be frail. It's going to be in jeopardy.
0: So. Let's go back a little bit, back, you know, maybe to something kind of prolific. Um, you know, you, you described how every time you'd move, your father would, um, you, you mentioned Socratic method um, in, earlier in the conversation, but he would, he would paint the Greek text of the last words of Socrates on his study walls. That's um, oh, right. What was it called? Uh,
1: across about? the, I forget what it's called, but, yeah. the, you know, the, uh, across, under the ceiling where the ceiling hits the wall. I see, um, yeah. There's a, there's a word for it. And he'd carefully paint out these, you know, every time, every time. It was terribly funny until the last study, of course. I think I mentioned that. But, uh, <clears throat> yes. And and the point is to, to hold this banner in front of himself. He was an earnest young man, very earnest, very scholarly, very dedicated, very um, commissioned. How, how would you say that? He 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 knew he was on a mission. I often wonder uh-huh. if he had some sort of prevalence, or if, he, if he understood the future better than he had any right to. You know, he, he often predicted things that I couldn't work out how he knew. And he often acknowledged that he'd recognized things when he couldn't have known. And, and, and. You know, whether whether he was a little bit outside of time in some way, but that's a, a mystical thing, I don't know. <laughs>
0: well you describe i mean the the insights that he had at such a young age and the work and and his um uh ascent uh within the organizations he was working um at such a young age i know it, it's it's um really astounding you know very you know brilliant and i'm also i'm very curious about his you know some of his experiences um you know his his time in india um you write about his um his uh, appreciation of, of yoga and alchemy and mysticism and 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 I'm very curious about the role that that those played and 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 those those kinds of experiences had in uh, the formation of 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 his of his thoughts. And then I found it you know very interesting. There it seemed like the, the way that you that you captured it anyway in the book that when he when he read uh, Norbert Wiener in 1950, he had kind of this aha. I am a cybernetician. It's sort of like all of this stuff that had been going on for him, for all of these years, and these things, these conclusions that he was um, drawing, and these questions he was forming, really just kind of had. He had this like aha moment um, when, and everything just kind of clicked. So, yeah. What are your what are your thoughts on that?
1: Oh yes, I mean I'm sure you're right. They everything came together then because he um, he viewed his system as a whole. Of course, he, I mean. Whole an entity, he he um, he began as a, a he was born into a Protestant family, a British Catholic. Sorry, Protestant. I I don't know enough about Protestantism, but you know standard British family yeah, yeah. where where the Queen is the head of the church, or the Archbishop of Canterbury. I don't think anyone really knows, and and it's all about births, marriages, and deaths. It's all ritualizing rather gracefully. Um, what, what goes on? And when Stafford was at university, he, uh, as a boy, you know, in, in Wales, he fell in with the, um, Carmelites, I think, a body of monks who, who converted him to Catholicism. And he, he told me that this was because he, he believed that one human brain was too small to understand God, of course. You know, you know this is not likely to be possible. And, the Catholic Church had been for so long arguing and debating and putting stuff together quite rigorously, um, within their own contexts. And, and he felt that they probably had as much knowledge as he was likely to be able to get outside of, um, but in those days anyway. So he became a Catholic and was a, a very committed Catholic. Um, but then, of course, he, he discovered in India he'd already um, fallen in with uh, the people that he knew in India and was learning more and more about meditation, for instance. He had no trouble applying meditation to Catholicism, um, and I don't think that's particularly unusual nowadays. But he did have some views that were becoming slightly heretical. <laughs> and I think by the time he decided to leave the church, his views had become much more in common with Buddhism I suppose uh, it's, quite, it's quite difficult for me to define which category he slots into because of course he would cheerfully bridge any gaps that he met <laughs> um, but he had a, a very strong spiritual life and a very powerful spiritual presence you know uh, mm-hmm. if you understand what I mean <laughs>
0: sure yeah absolutely yeah. And, and I find it really interesting that, uh, you know, a thinker um, such as Stafford, um, you know, it, it's not and especially, you know, where where he ended up taking so much of his work, which is into into management. And, um, you know, as we think about, um, uh, you know, the 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 subtitle of the book, and I didn't mention this at the beginning, is big data analysis. Um, and, uh, you know, having come from that world myself, um, when I think about big data analysis, um, things like mysticism don't really enter that conversation too frequently in um, in the Silicon Valley, for example. And so I'm curious about just how that ends up influencing vi- viable systems model, for example, or processes like like disintegration and, and how much a person needs to bring, you know, other ways of, of, of knowing and, and being kind of into that, those kinds of processes and the role that they ought to play as we're tackling problems. And it seems like he was thinking about that kind of thing.
1: Yeah. I think you put your finger on it. Other, other ways of being other, other, what you just said, <laughs> you know, is, is, um, it's pretty important. We can't, rely on what we have known because look where that's got us so another kind of thinking and another direction at any time is going to be helpful and certainly um, working in groups which seems to be very important you have to know to respect every person each each person has to be Voluminous mm-hmm. one, for <laughs> so, I mean I'm making that up. I've never heard Stafford say that, but I know the the care that he put into everybody who came into his field. Um, he he was the and the man in the street who stopped him. You know he would be totally focused and totally available to them. So, in in answer to your question, the the business of data is actually about People and <laughs> mm-hmm. they're the ones that, do that deserve uh, the the nourishment and the care that should come through these systems. I'm getting a bit mystical here, aren't I? But but that's the way I see it.
0: Yeah, I and I love that. I love that um, that wisdom. I think that uh, you know it is something that uh, as as we go through this this cycle. In um, you know in in this um, in this world of you know data and and, and transactional thinking and um, you know the and we apply s- you know systems thinking to that and you know if, if we treat um, every person as just simply another piece of data or a node in in the system um, you know certainly uh, things like AI have the ability to look at patterns and, and, and relationships, which are very much, um, you know, systems thinking in orientation. And, uh, but if we can kind of appreciate um, what's really going on in those, in those patterns and those relationships at at the individual level, that seems like the hard thing for technology, at least right now to, um, to tackle and, and understand. So I think bringing this sensibility um to that work. And, you know, if Stafford Beer were alive today, I think he'd be a very, you know, sought after consultant, you know, here in Silicon Valley at this at this moment in time, given given the way um he was thinking.
1: Uh, yeah, well who who knows? Um, who knows what work he'd be doing? <laughs>
0: <laughs> Maybe he'd just be focused on yoga at at, at this point. That's what I'd like to be doing, um, you know. You, you use this uh, very useful visual um, cue uh, throughout the book, and it's a—I'll describe it. It's a, it's a circle, and and in it you write: "New thinking needs new terms." So, er, it seems like every time there was a, a kind of a development in um, in Stafford's um, thinking, and where where we needed to to a new term, really, there was no good term for it. No current um term that we could apply that could quite capture the essence and so you know when he starts to look at um, things like um recursivity um and you know homeostasis not not a not a word he invented of course, but just in terms of in the application of of those kinds of terms as we look at at systems i I, I found that really first of all useful the way that that you you did that and you kind of um, highlighted the thinking and the evolution that that he was going through. Um, w- w- did you ever were you ever around for for those again those kinds of moments where you know here's this new word that we need to bring into the vernacular and uh, this is the role it's going to play.
1: Well, yes, of course, and and it was not introduced as a new word. It would be um, this is a process, and I think it's called. Dumpty Dum, and it's made up of the Greek, um, normally. <laughs> and, yeah. I mean, these things happened all the time. The thing about um, growing up where, uh, with Stafford was that there was no downtime, you know. It was full on, constantly, from breakfast and whenever we were together. So always there'd be questions and there'd be um uh, stories, story. He told stories all the time. They were so funny. And he told jokes all the time. So, yes, I mean, of course I was around when new words were being engendered. And uh, they became part of the, the family vocabulary. Yeah. I remember uh, me and my um, brother Simon, we were, when we were very young, we were playing spot the system. <laughs> we were trying to work out if things could be identified as system. was it, was a cup and saucer system. I remember was something that g- gave us trouble. Uh, but of course, once you engage with a cup and saucer, it becomes part of the system.
0: It must have been very interesting being in the beer household. It sounds very very different from what most children. Yeah, experience I, but
1: up. we didn't know that. You know, we we just grew up like kids do. But my brothers are also. Um, very interesting men, so it was, it was always very lively and vibrant, and Stafford really encouraged that, you know he, he would preside over the dinner table like a, um, a debate like a chair of a debate so we'd we'd move round each of the kids and each would be encouraged subtly to talk about their um, day and what they were doing and each of us were fairly obsessive about what we did um, yeah, it was great
0: There was a period of time when, um, you know, this is after after Chile and, you know, the various organizations that um, Stafford uh, both began as well as, you know, were were hired into. You know, he had a very, very successful career where it it seemed like um, he paused and uh, you you, you talk about him um, spending a lot of time meditating, writing poetry, uh, painting, um, writing um t- t- can you talk about that that time of of his life and you know really what that you know represented
1: um well, it was after Chile as you say which which j- just I, I, I he was so upset <laughs> I, it didn't mm-hmm. destroy him, but it really um damaged him so much he liked he loved a m d he took to him you know mm-hmm. and regarded him as a as a force for change, a force for good. He just adored him. Um, when, when that period ended, he questioned absolutely everything. He seemed to, um, to find no joy in the world, you know. So he changed his life. He was distressed that he'd lived as a, um, a successful businessman stroke capitalist, although he'd always been very careful. I mean, he didn't use stocks and shares, for instance. He was always within the, the thingy. But he did have all the stuff. Anyway, he sold it all. He put his wife, my stepmother Sally, into a house with her two little ones. The rest of us were pretty much grown up by then. What passes for it? And uh, <laughs> uh he bought this tiny shack, which was very basic. And he set about living on... Um, the income from his books, which was tiny, but it was it was the old age pension amount, and he decided to live on what was the common uh, sort of income in in England at that time. So he was very poor, uh, and that was quite hard because there were overheads left behind with my mother's maintenance and and other children who who made demands or had demands made on their part. Uh, plus the two little ones had to be brought out, plus plus, you know, there's overheads, you're a father, you know. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Um, so, he, anyway, he, he spent a lot of time writing. He, he always wrote poetry, by the way, all the time. He, he, um, he, he, he talked about Socrates' daemon, the, the, you know, the, the, um, I don't know what we call it, the, uh, the demon that guides you, but it's obviously not a demon. Demon, it's the inspiration yeah, yeah, beastie. Yeah. yeah, you know the term. Um, and yeah. he was very much enthralled to that. He was. He wrote poetry. He didn't do downtime, as I've said. He, if nothing else was going on, he was pruning a poem or painting a picture. He painted all the time as well, especially when he was babysitting. You know, when when he was left with us lot he'd he'd be painting away whilst trying to control the the infants <laughs> um, yeah, he didn't waste any time at all. I don't know sorry, I'm rambling now, but it's just crossed my mind no, no, I, don't no. know, I don't know where he found time to do all the reading that he did do because um he it, he seemed to have read absolutely everything and when I grew up and could talk to him about this he he was extraordinarily well informed you know he had all the basic fiction and everything but he once said to me rather gloomily he said darling i don't know how you can bear to read fiction and, <laughs> and yet and, and there was certainly very little fiction in in his collection of books and um, which is now at the john moore's university and what there was was significant you know what have you found
0: yeah, yeah. so um i've i've touched on uh uh, Syntegration a couple of times, and I, I have a feeling um, many listeners will, will know about Syntegration Have maybe uh, practiced it, uh, used it in um, in their work. Um, but I, you know, you do a really nice job of kind of describing the mechanics of, of Syntegration and how and how people were so important to um, the the process. I, I I think I mentioned to you before we started recording that. Um, chatting with a colleague recently who was, who was thinking about how, how can I bring, um, integration online? Is it, is, is it even possible if I use some, um, you know, technology like, uh, Miro to do, uh, you know, post-its kind of online. And is, is it, is it, is it possible? I'm, I'm curious what Stafford would, would, would think of it, uh, because it, it's sort of considered to be such, um, embodied work. It, you've mentioned before like his, his, um, his passion for how, like what the individual brings, uh, the person you know, brings to the process. Can you talk a little, little bit about integration and, and kind of what you saw and, and what was behind that um, when he developed it?
1: Well, the point initially was to arrive at the questions you need to put in the VSM, you know, where. where um, how, how do you make that work? How, how? And then, of course, you need to know how to ask the right questions. How do you ask the right questions? You ask your workforce. How do you talk to the workforce where everyone has an equal weight? You invent integration, <laughs> of course. And I remember meeting with him from somewhere, and he was carrying cocktail sticks and jelly beans, you know, the, the, the way that they make the models. And um, and happily making these uh, icosahedra, which, which are gorgeous, actually. I had them hanging in my greenhouse in the country once when I was uh, on an art sting in England. And, um, uh, have you seen them? The, the, the little, like, mop- yeah, the pigtail sticks and, and jellies. Well, mine started revolving. And I, I thought, what, you know, what's going on here? And it turned out that wasps had started burrowing into them and were eating the sugar out. And making, of course. It. Daddy was delighted. <laughs> he came visiting and saw these things in action. Anyway, um, yes, yeah, so he came up with that idea to give an equal voice to everyone. It was a much longer process initially. I mean, nowadays, I think people do it in a couple of days or maybe even less because nobody's got any time. But initially it was, oh, I think it was four or five days. And, um, and I think I know what he would feel about it being on computer because he was so very keen on people being together. You know, his big maxim was later in the bar. So you sit through conferences, you sit through lectures, you sit through whatever, and then you go to the bar and that's where people sit and meet and talk. And, and we all know this is the truth. Of course it is. Um, the point about the integration. you're together you don't even have to be in the bar you know you're communicating with one another and i'm sure you guys will come up with some technological trick to make that work but i don't know what it could possibly be
0: i know yeah i know we've been forced into you know at, at the time of this conversation um it is uh Middle of June, 2021. Uh, it'll be just a little while before this one uh, gets published on the New Books Network. But um, you know, we're what, uh, 15 months, 16 months into the COVID-19 pandemic, and, and which has shifted um, things and uh, it really accelerated a lot of what was maybe underway already. You and I are talking here today because of technology, uh, technologies that's enabling. I'd love to be in the South of France with you, by the way, uh, in person. Um, but uh, here we are on this, on this platform. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I, that is a question, you know, generally I've, I, that's been coming to my mind um, is, is what he would think um, about today and uh, you know, what, what we're dealing with, the role that his work can, could play in, in, in dealing with uh, a lot of these big challenges that, that we have not only, you know, organizationally, uh, you know, within, within a management context, uh, but, but also, you know, more, more broadly. Um, you know, what your thoughts are uh, on that one?
1: Well, of course, I can't speak for Stafford. And alas, you know, I, I haven't inherited his, his amazing brain or his astonishing insights. But uh, what can one say? We all know that um, things ain't getting better. On the other hand, as you say, this pandemic, this lockdown, has caused a great deal more introspection, which can't be bad, and, um, and a time for people to start thinking about their role in nature. It, it's clear to anyone who lives, even in cities, that that once we're all out of the way, animals start re-emerging, and the birds start flourishing again, and and you know, and and. Perhaps we've not left it too late to save the planet, although everyone says we have. But maybe we could we could pull back now and make things a bit better. And certainly, you know, the petrochemical industry has to be um, whew, curtailed, and uh, new forms of energy um, uh, uh, have to be found to to satiate our, our incredible hunger for for making. Uh, For burning fuel for for creating stuff that's another thing about systems thinking, you see if children were taught that every time they click a switch or or, uh, activate something, that this has an impact most kids don't realise that, this is just makes the light work this just puts the computer on but it all has an impact and you need to be Aware that you are accountable for that, although perhaps not accountable, you're, you're responsible for that.
0: Absolutely, yeah. you know. And you mentioned early on, you know, the comic book format, which is, you know, historically for for children, but you know has a has a place in on the bookshelves of of, of adults as as well. Um, it can be a powerful format for educating and for making concepts um approachable and uh and and and, you know i think everyone loves a a good story and what a what a better way to begin to understand um something like cybernetics and stafford beer's work than than this 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 comic book format um you know i did intend it as
1: a a sort of entry point so that you know you can read a page and it's very slight so there's not that much information in there but you can look it up you can go online and check out um La Dida, uh, Ashby's law of requisite variety, for instance. You can you can check out anything you want nowadays, and, and then check your sources. But <laughs> but but I just tried to put in little tasters so that any a student especially could could then source and develop the bits that interest them.
0: Yeah, and, and I think it's also, at, at this point, really important to um, point out um, that, uh, you know, uh, for the last, um, what, 20 years of, of Stafford's life, he um, was uh, with Elena Leonard, um, who who had become his partner, and they, they spent uh, their time, I, I, I think, in my country of origin, in, from in Canada and in Toronto specifically, and um, Elena actually contributed... Um, pretty substantially to this book um, by contributing a, um, a wonderful glossary at the, at the end of the book. So to your point around being able to look up some of these, these concepts, you don't have to go too far. You can actually just kind of flip to the end of the book.
1: Yeah, it's a bit of a crib. I mean, when I was at um, Leeds Beckett for this initial conference, somebody told me how many uh, MBA students were anticipated. And I was completely appalled. I mean, it's like a sausage machine. How how can they be properly trained? So I thought, well, you know, this is the sort of thing that might appeal to someone who's done a, a basic degree and is going to move into management studies. It gives them some route to, to look at Stafford's work and a glossary. <laughs> You've got to have the glossary. It's vital, isn't it? It's like, um, I mean, I got through my philosophy with, uh, with the, dummy's guide to hegel i wish <laughs> hallelujah you know without that i couldn't have got that's right
0: there's not there's nothing wrong with with the uh with the dummy with the dummy guides they they certainly are a great place to to get started
1: absolutely um, and
0: i i I don't think of this as a dummy guide i think this is a, a beautiful uh a story um and uh i would highly suggest this this book too you know, someone who is, you know, passionate about systems thinking and cybernetics already, but also for any listener who just wants to pick up, um, an, an interesting guide, uh, an interesting sort of introduction to, to this work. Um, I think it actually, uh, you know, inspires the imagination to, to think about how, how it could be applied in, in a lot of different ways. Um, as we wrap up the conversation, Vanilla, and it's been wonderful speaking with you today, um, you know, Stafford has been um, gone for nearly 20 years. Um, you know, he, he, he left us um, in August of 2002. Um, and and that was, you know, that was a bizarre time as well. Of course, we were, you know, sort of at a different sort of um <laughs> a series of, of crises that had, had been going on, uh, with around terrorism and, and, uh, you know, the war in Afghanistan and, and so on. So, you know, he, he, he left at a, at a time when, uh, there were certainly different crises going on, but nevertheless, I'm, I'm sure he was thinking about how, you know, the role of cybernetics could have been uh, played and maybe preventing some of those, those, those things. Um. I um, I don't have any more questions for you, but I'm curious if there is a question that I have failed to ask you, if I've if I've missed something, and if there are some parting words that that you could leave us with.
1: Oh gosh, um, I'd like to point out Stafford's influence. I, I've just got the book here. I just flicked it open and found the page where David Bowie has put uh, Stafford's mm-hmm. book as as his one of his best books. Um yes. You see now, Bowie and Barney know um people in that. Clan had no trouble at all reading Brain of the Firm which is the one that explains the VSM and also has the a, a story of the Chilean coup and Stafford's relationship with Allende and the subsequent um, overthrow of, of his government um, and that seems to me to be, if anyone's interested they should pick up Brain of the Firm I'm sure it's available um, I'm sure and, and if it's good enough for the likes of Bowie and Eno, then yeah, we can all cope.
0: <laughs> well, I think that's incredible. Yes. And, uh, you know, I, I do find it very interesting. My, my um, friend and co-host, Tom Schult, who is also on this channel, he is an actor. He is head of the drama department at the University of British Columbia. And I just find it interesting, this, this confluence of, you know, you're an artist, uh, Stafford, uh, he was a poet, he was an artist, he was a, you know, deep creative thinker. Um, so, you know, this is by no means some mechanistic uh, m- model, you know, very conservative. I mean, I, I think it's amazing that the likes of Eno and Bowie Um, we're all over his work. It's amazing.
1: It's funny, isn't it?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I've loved this conversation. It's been uh, wonderful uh, speaking with you today. Thank you so much for your time, Vanilla.
1: Thank you. You've
0: been listening to my conversation with Vanilla Beer, author of Stafford Beer, the father of management cybernetics. This is Kevin Lindsay, and thank you for tuning in to this episode of Systems and Cybernetics. Till next time, goodbye.